And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm down to dunk And I'm down to dunk I'm down to dunk This is J-Dub and I'm down to dunk I'm Shea Goose Alexander and I'm down to dunk This is Lindy Waters and I'm down to dunk I'm Mike Muscala and I'm down to dunk this is Jay Will, and I'm down to dunk. This is Kenneth Williams, and I'm down to dunk. This is Lou Dort, and I'm down to dunk. We say this is Lou Dort, and I'm down to Dort. <laughs> this is Lou Dort, and I'm down to Dort. <laughs> Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With me today, as always, is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, oh, what's up? Hey, what's up, Andrew? Uh, and today, Al, you want to introduce our special guest, the Almighty Thunder Draft Oracle himself. Yes. Uh, for for new listeners, our guest today is Ben Pfeiffer. Hi, Ben. How are you? Hi, guys. How's it going? Good to be Great. back. Uh, ben first appeared on Down to Dunk before the 2021 draft. And at that time, me and Andrew, I don't even remember who we wanted. I know that we didn't want James Booknight. We, we weren't really that interested in Kaminga. We... Like who, I don't even know who we were even talking about at that time. I don't know. I think we were all just so six. heartbroken that we fell the six that it was just like, I don't know what's going to happen. I think I was just thinking the whole time, hopefully we trade up. Just hopefully yeah, we, yeah, we were just banking on a trade up. Then Ben shows up and Ben <laughs> gives us uh, one of the most uh, compelling arguments for why the Thunder should take Josh Giddy, who we had not really been thinking about all that much. Yeah, he's being mocked at like 12 at the time or something like that. Yeah, he was. Uh, And once you know, the Thunder end up picking him. And so uh, that started the legend of Ben. However, (laughs) last year, Ben... Yeah, it doesn't stop uh, there. You were not a fan of the Thunder's draft initially, and all the goodwill that you had built up with the Thunder fan base was (laughs) thrown back in your face immediately. You were attacked viciously by the Thunder fan base. And so now this, this is the third year. This is kind of the rubber match. Right, this is back to three, you know? It's like I will say, I listened back to last year's episode, and you were high on Chet with the Thunder in general. He mentioned, when we talked about guys that could draft later, he mentioned J-Dub as one of his guys. Oh, yeah? He also talked very favorably of Usman Jang in that same episode. Really? He did. I listened back, and he... there's Something's going to happen. We are going to mention... Every player that's going to be on the Thunder on this podcast in some way, and maybe we'll loophole that just by talking about every single guy in like the top like twelve just to be safe. But maybe he didn't like the draft, but he did talk favorably about all the players they ended up with eventually. So yeah, yeah, my my qualms with that draft were mostly just about like the process and like how it was going to go, adding like two more supposed ball handlers to a team that already had like a lot of resources and ball handlers tied up, not only like Giddy and Shea, but also like, 
you know, after Trey Mann's rookie year, and I was clearly very wrong about that. But, like, <laughs> they got good players, and getting good players tends to go well. So, Yeah. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this year is because Andrew and I, I would definitely say me, Andrew can say what he wants. <laughs> I, I've been feeling a little lukewarm about this draft. Right, Not man. that I don't like the prospects, but just – I'm just kind of fine with any of the prospects that have been talked about in this range of 12. Um, but I ne- haven't necessarily like fallen in love with someone. You, on the other hand, let me let me read your own words to you, Ben. You have said that you adore this draft class. And so I thought it'd be you nice do. to have you on. I think this is a fantastic class. To, to kind of get us more excited about this draft class. So what is it about this draft class that you love so much? I just think the talent is really, really deep. Um Obviously, at the top, everyone knows. Um, I just think there is like a lot of quality guys. I think there's more than fourteen prospects that will be like worthy, like lottery picks, and guys who are like good lottery picks. Where, like last year, I don't think that was the case at all. Um, I think this class is like really stacked in a lot of important areas. Like this is an incredible shooting class. There are so many amazing shooters in this class. Um, this is like one of the most athletic draft classes um, I can remember, which is obviously really important for determining guys' upside and such. Um, yeah, I just think there's a lot of really good players and a lot of really good like different types of players. Obviously, the draft has weaknesses, um, as every draft does. Like there aren't a ton of guys like who are really high feel um, being the main weakness that I notice, um, especially like outside of the very top. So. Yeah, I I am pretty happy about this draft. I think it's as good a draft as you're going to get for picking like the 10 to 15 range, um, especially because that tends to be the range as you know we see with J Dub and like other guys like you know AJ Griffin, whoever in the past like guys fall into that range who probably shouldn't. Basically, every draft. So yeah, we, we've got Andrew's uh, Andrew's nicknamed it the sweet spot because there has like you can go back to like Devin Booker. Like Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, like there's a ton of guys that fall to that like ten to fifteen range. It seems, whereas like the seven to ten range, you sometimes get right. Some, right. I feel gross. yes. I, I was like exactly. I, I feel like seven to ten can be the range where like okay, like maybe that guy shouldn't have got picked that high. And then yeah. you know inevitably it was like oh yeah because because of that then there's someone really good available at twelve. So. Yeah, it feels like it happens every year. I mean, you look even at last year's draft. And I'm not saying like Dyson Daniels not going to be a good player. I think he's going to be a good player, but he's in that range. Johnny Davis is in that range. It's like, I don't know. There just always seems to be mistakes there. The year prior, Zaire Williams and Davion Mitchell, you know, not that yeah, those guys aren't good eight, players, seven, but like one. not like lottery type talent. So, uh, right. It's, it's interesting because I, I mean, I, I kind of feel like we can talk about like trade up scenarios, but if I'm the Thunder, Unless they just are in love with somebody at like five or six, I might just stay and see who falls and take somebody at that spot. I know it's not as exciting as like making a trade with the Pistons or doing whatever. And I know that it was reported today that Thunder are likely trade up team, which I do think is true, probably more so than any other year. This would be the year just because they have so many excess picks coming in the next couple drafts that they're going to have to do something with those picks because you can't roster all the people they're going to have to draft. Um, but I would also feel very comfortable with staying at 12. So, Ben, you mentioned that 
if there is a weakness in this class, it might be the lack of feel prospects, like prospects with good feel. And that tends to be something that the Thunder like really hone in on. Is there anyone that's kind of been mocked in the range they're currently in that you feel would be a good fit in that respect? In terms of feel, um, it's honestly pretty difficult. Um, like one of the guys like falling is like who definitely is like a high field guy is Anthony Black, who mm -hmm. but again feels like might not be a thundery guy just because of like I mean again, I said this last year, like how many like black for sure because of his shooting concerns. Um, just a guy who like really struggles to shoot and to score, um, like needs the ball in his hands to to add like that passing and like you know, like cutting value, which he can. So I feel like OKC probably wouldn't be super in on him just because they, I mean, especially after adding J-Dub and they have Jang and other guys in the back, like with Kitty and Shea, probably not someone they'd be interested. But if they do want to go with someone who's just like generally high feel all around, he's probably going to be like the best one to, the, the best one to go for in, in that kind of range. Um, I think, again, someone who probably won't fall. I, I don't think Grady Dick is going to be available at, at 12 it seems like um but if he is i would like that a lot as i think his his passing you know just don't ask him to dribble um which is i think probably fine for a team that has so many guys who can and like to dribble um like he's a really like you know brilliant cutter and spacer and really great passer when he gets you know chances to attack the rim and stuff like that and, you know, a, a flawed currently, but high field defender with, with real upside there. So those probably like the like two like main guys. I'm probably forgetting someone off the top of my head and I'm sure we'll talk about people, but. Yeah. Uh, let, let's talk about like a couple trade up scenarios. Um, the Pistons are a team that I just don't have a good feel for what they want to do with this draft. I think they'll likely just stay and take the pick, but there's a chance that they could use because they don't have stacked picks like the Thunder do. And they I think that they're going to want to push some kind of button in order to get this team going within the next like calendar year or so. And the Thunder could offer that to them. They could give them 12, they could give them a couple extra picks that are very valuable. I mean, the Thunder really only have like valuable picks at this point left in the cupboard. And so if they gave them a couple really valuable picks, that could help them with their team building down the road and the Thunder could get somebody there who in the top 5 would be worth it to trade for uh, at that point if you're OKC. Yeah, I normally I'm just like generally anti trade up because the process like teams just tend to not get good return on their investments. But for OKC in this situation, like with this draft and with their like as you said, their insane amount of picks still, I really don't think that's a bad option at all, um, especially because there are. A lot of good players in that range. I saw one said like two of like the best options would probably be like Taylor Hendricks and Jarris Walker. I think Jarris is like a significantly better prospect, but I think Hendricks is like a much cleaner fit for what OKC needs and and is doing. Um, like Hendricks, I don't think has the ceiling of Jarris on offense or defense. But his, you know, his spacing and his his catch and shoot ability and that rim protection he brings are all big areas of need for OKC, and they wouldn't have to, you know, add, you know, really work on him in terms of like getting him the ball or running offense for him. They could just kind of let him stand out there, you know, hit threes, get rebounds, whatever, do his thing. 
Um, but if they want to shoot higher, again, I think Jairus Walker is the way you go there as you know similar strengths defensively while having, to me, more upside because of his superior like instincts and feel as a defender. He's stronger. He's more athletic. He's just a better leaper overall, I think. He's strong. I said stronger already. Um, just the mobility on the perimeter is the only probably thing that Hendricks has on him. And then it's just like how much the Thunder um, you know, want another guy um, who is like a really impressive passer. I think Jarris is one of the better passers in this class. Another high field guy who like high field guy with with a long wingspan. Um, that's that's seems seems about right. Help me with the shooting because I, I there are a lot of things about his offensive game at Houston that I just did not like. I got I, the the shooting scares me. The free throw percentage scares me. Uh, the amount of like floaters he likes to take, I don't like that. There's just like a lot of things that need to get cleaned up with his offensive game for me to like believe in it. Like talk talk me into him as an offensive player. Yeah, I agree that um, there are a lot of things that that need to get cleaned up as well. Um, but I think a lot of those are pretty fixable. Um, is just kind of the reason that I'm that I'm so into him. Um, as a scorer, I agree that the floater tendency is is currently a problem. But um, the fact that I think a lot of that stuff on tape, at least to me, it just looks like bad process or like mentality stuff. Where Jarris will like he has a, an impressive handle. He's really strong. He's pretty quick, like with his first step for a guy of that size. But he just loves like settling for those, you know, ten, eight to twelve foot floaters and jumpers, yes. like. Yes. Even when he, you know, moves a guy backwards or gets an advantage with his handle, he'll just take a bad jumper. Um, and I think like the the flip side of that is if you can get a coach to you know, work on his confidence and just confidence in those last steps and those last dribbles to you know use that great strength and explosion of him to get to the rim. Because we see whenever he like, you know, in the rare times when he does go all the way to the rim or like catches off of like a roll or a post up, he's so explosive and and powerful down mm. there. So I think. If you can like clean up that process, there's a big kind of window for him to really develop as like a scorer in surprising ways. Um, I've said this before, but his like college scoring profile reminds me a good amount of like Siakam as just someone okay. who like really could not shoot a lick. Yeah. Um, had issues with you know getting all the way to the rim, but was super like, you know, weirdly mobile, obviously had different like mobility tools and skills, like great handle for the size, like really fluid and could, you know, get advantages even if they couldn't capitalize. Um, so I think there's some like weird, like star creatory upside, which is why I like Jairus so much. Um, and I do think the shooting is concerning. Um, no doubt about that. But I don't think it's hopeless, um, which is kind of like, you know, based on how much I like the rest of his game, that's kind of all I really need. Like, you know, over six threes per hundred, the free throw is not like horrific. And we've seen guys with that level of like high sixties free throw percentage become solid shooters. Like Anthony Edwards was a terrible free throw shooter, you know, in that same range in college, just off the top of my head. Um, Contavious Caldwell Pope wasn't a good free throw shooter off the top of my head. Like, so like the fact that his free throw isn't like absolutely terrible, um, which like you don't generally see guys like that become shooters. Um, the fact that the main issue for my for me believing in the shot is like his release is so slow, yeah. um, and he needs a lot of space to get it off. And I think again that could be a place where again we we've, we've seen OKC excel and and really be be one of the teams that is kind of like doing really well with their player development. So hopefully that can be 
an area where they where they develop him. And I, I just think a lot of Jairus's big issues are pretty like remediable mm-hmm. um, or at least have the potential to be more than the things that he does well, like his his incredible feel for the game and then physical tools and some of the skill he has. So that's my Jairus pitch, basically, um, is that I think the, the ceiling that he has are worth the flaws. And I think the flaws, like none of them are so damning that they just can't be corrected, I think. So when you compared him to Taylor Hendricks, you said that Hendricks would be a cleaner fit if he even if he doesn't have the higher upside. Does that just come down to shooting for you, or are there other reasons why you think Hendricks would be a a better fit than Jarris? Yeah, I think that's the main reason for a team like OKC, okay. who just like okay. has so many ball handlers um, that I like could imagine, and I wouldn't fault them for going that direction. I think that is a total like I think Hendricks is an awesome prospect. Um, I think his shooting again. Just being a six nine guy who has like a high release um, and can shoot off the ball is is really impressive, as well as his you know really impressive rim protection, which has been a big weakness for OKC, and you know that's going to get better with Chet back, um, but it's still still having more of that never hurts. So I think in terms of having a prospect who OKC has to like devote less resources to whether that's on the floor or running actions for or probably like even like working on offensive development which could be something that they with that they go for I don't know maybe they continue to stack guys who can do stuff with the ball Hendricks is probably the cleaner fit there as someone who's more like plug and play in in that kind of way mm-hmm. yeah. what, what about defensively like do you think either of those guys have a cleaner fit defensively Next I probably think, yeah, I probably think Jarris is a cleaner fit defensively next to Chet just because he can take some of like the strength matchups that Chet is, especially as a rookie, going to probably struggle with. Um, or, you know, as we talked about last year, I'm sure like the physicality, like strength concerns, definitely overblown for Chet, um, no doubt. But there are going to be matchups against like, you know, Burley or centers where he struggles. And I think because of how like thick and strong Jarris is, he can be someone who helps Chet out as a secondary protector. Like he's probably going to need someone to come and cover his back at some point. You know, even the greatest like rookie centers struggle because it's just hard to play defense as a five in the NBA for basically everyone. Um, and I think where, where Hendricks is really, really amazing as like a secondary rim protector, someone who is coming over from the weak side and, you know, blocking shots, making great rotations, which also is good for the Thunder. Again, a team that like plays really fast on defense and has a lot of guys rotating. Um, I think purely from a Chet standpoint, though, Jarris with his physical tools um, and the upside to be like a really like strong uh, defender who's more able to guard those like strong wings and forwards. I think that's probably the better fit with Chet. Um, if that's the angle you're looking at defensively. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to agree. Like, Jairus is definitely more of the Thunder player that we've seen them draft in the last few years. And he kind of fits, too, with, like, the physicality that I think the Thunder want to have. And I know that Presti has talked about how they need to be physical with the players they have on their current roster. But I do think adding a player like this could help quite a bit. It also is going to limit them offensively too until he either figures out how to shoot or Giddy becomes more consistent or somebody can be a more consistent shooter. Um, right. It's it's all just going to be like trade-offs and what they're looking for. Yeah. Like, I just have – I like Hendricks a lot. And if they decided to just draft a play finisher, like he'd be the one. Like that yeah. would be the guy that I would go after. 
I just won't predict they're going to actually draft somebody like that until they do it. You know, this right, next right. This iteration yeah. of the Thunder just doesn't even have those guys that they selected in the first round. Like, they just don't take those guys in the first round. They they go find them elsewhere. You know, everybody's like, well, what about Isaiah Joe? They, I mean, they brought in Isaiah Joe for nothing. So I don't I don't yeah, know what's probably a good philosophy, honestly. Um, just like to, to like keep swinging on those higher value positions, even if like they're redundant and get those like lower value positions elsewhere, which they, you know, seem to clearly be one of the teams that's really good at working on the margins and finding guys who slip through the cracks as well. So, yeah. What, what about I want to say, oh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to say like this. I feel like for me, OKC and Presti are like Rosman and them are coming into the echelon of like teams that I will like trust a lot um, despite my feelings on their draft, especially after like last year and what they've done last these last couple years. I think um, like they clearly seem to have a good plan and to just like know what they're looking for. And they have a really great scouting department and they have a really good player development department. Um, so even if I don't like their pick um, or like what they're doing, um, I'm you know going to acknowledge this point. Like I think the Pelicans, you know, here the Heat, the Spurs. Like, I think they're in there with these teams that like deserve the benefit of the doubt. And like, yeah, let's like let's let's see this process. Let's see what happens. Yeah. What about Asar Thompson as like a guy they could trade up for? What are your thoughts on him? I would like that a lot. I mean, I just think Asar is like really really good. And would be like the best player on the board, talent-wise, probably wherever they were able to trade up for him, which is always a reason to to go up and get a guy if you think he's that that level of talent. Um, I think he makes a lot of sense as um, a player who you know isn't as great of an on-ball creator bet as his brother, um, but still can do some stuff on the ball. Like a really weird prospect who has this like you know he's not as good in terms of like burst or getting downhill. Um, but he is like an incredibly good handler and he's really good scoring in like the mid post 15, 15 to, to eight foot area. Um, he like excels in a lot of the same areas that, that Shea excels in, you know, ex- except for like really getting all the way to the rim uh, where he's really good at like mid range, like fadeaways and pull-ups and step throughs and floaters and stuff like that. So I think that's another dimension that he could add as like an, another score, which would be great. Um, I really like his shot relative to maybe consensus. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty into his shot being good enough for what he does as he improved a ton over like his, his seasons with you know OT and, and AAU. Um, he's taking a lot of threes. His numbers at this point are like pretty comparable to a lot of players who have developed into you know okay enough shooters. It's not like a man who are just like really, really bad. It's like, yeah, he's made a lot of progress. And just the fact that you know, he is comfortable and confident taking pull-up threes off the dribble and threes off of movement and step-back threes and pull-up mid-ranges and all these kind of different kinds of shots um, where, you know, even a year ago, he wasn't comfortable taking these shots at all. Um, I think that would be a really cool OKC fit again. Also, just like the high feel, like long, rangy defender type as well, mm-hmm. um, where I think like that's a spot where I would love him to go and learn how to play defense as... Like the main defensive concerns with him and like a man, I think, were just like the motor and attentiveness, um, which isn't a super uncommon thing for high usage young star ball handlers 
to be pretty lackadaisical on defense and then become better defenders in the NBA. We see it happen pretty commonly, especially when you have all-time physical tools like a star. So I would really like that as well as a trade-up option. I think he would fit well um, or well enough. I, I don't think it would be an unclean fit at all. And I think the just like the upside and the talent there would be really, really good. Uh, yeah, I've been really interested in the reporting around him because it even showed up today in Gavoni's mock draft where he said Asar has like a very wide range of potential yeah, outcomes. Yeah, I have seen that. Draft. And I, I don't really know what to make of that because um, it, it does seem like you could make a case for him. I mean, you did like a little mock draft of who you would take for each team and you had him going four to Houston, mm. um, which I, that makes sense like that fit makes sense to me as well and it seems like he could potentially fit with a lot of these teams in the lotteries but maybe he is the guy who ends up falling out of this group um it just seems kind of crazy just because of he he does seem to have a lot going for him and then you hear these other things about like some teams have a sar ranked higher than amen and so it's like well well, what am i supposed to do with that right Um, he seems very all over the place and i have absolutely no idea where he's gonna go but so talking about Jarris Walker, I want to go back to him real quick, just because if you look at where the Thunder would need to trade up, like, are there any obvious fits for you? Or, or like, what's the first obvious fit that you get to as you start going down the draft where the Thunder would need to get ahead of that team because it just seems like a, a good fit for Jarris? Oh, in terms of, of Jarris? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I mean... I feel like I've seen him falling to like nine and ten in some mocks. Yeah, um, which seems kind of which seems kind of ridiculous. Um, I mean, I don't think Orlando would take him at this point, um, given just all of like the you know the large guys that they they already have. But um, again, like like the Thunder, um, they seem to have like a plan and a type, and maybe they just like keep stacking um, guys like that. I think the Pacers would probably be the main one that yeah. I would feel like you have to get ahead of just because Jarris like so cleanly fits with a lot of what they need um, as like another defensive, like forward wing type, which they just absolutely do not have and really, really need as well as someone who is really great in transition a really great passer from the big spot, just does so many things that they need. So Indiana would probably be the main team that you'd have to leapfrog um, but again, I think like you know, they could prefer Hendricks for that role or Cam Whitmore or someone else who falls maybe. Um, like, I don't think the wizards would take him if he gets to 10 Dallas would probably take Jarris. but I think Indiana and in, like the top seven is the main one that you need to get ahead of to, to ensure that you get Jarris. Cause it doesn't seem like the Pistons, like, I don't think I've ever seen the Pistons mock to take Jarris. Um, yeah. like it doesn't seem like they, from my, you know, our like outsider perspective that they're so in, so into him so. yeah and houston like other than the college connection like doesn't make right it doesn't seem either. right it doesn't seem like that's going to be a an option for them as well so yeah that's interesting yeah i think if if he becomes a thunder guy i think they do have to jump to like five or six to like i would i would think so as well ensure that they get him but also who knows like if on draft night he's falling and he right. falls to 10 and you feel like you could take some of the money off the cap sheet from the Mavs and maybe give them something in the future. Like you, you could probably get that pick that night too. So 
think there's just got to be a lot of things at play. This is why you don't see like trades happen before the draft hardly right, ever. Right, exactly. Uh, especially within this range. It's so like dependent on who's falling and who wants who. And like right now, no one's telling the truth about who they want. Like it, there's, it's very unlikely that if, especially if you hear something about the Thunder itself, that all oh, the Thunder like this guy. Go ahead and mark him off your list of guys that could be drafted by the Thunder. I mean, it's it's extremely unlikely. Now, it's happened in the past. Like Cameron Payne was circled early on, and that was a Thunder guy. But I think it's just really hard, and I think you just have to more go by like, okay, who's checking the boxes for the Thunder right now? Like, who has high feel? Who can um, who can play with this group the way they want to play? And I, and I think the truth is, which makes it kind of tough, and I think it's a lot of Thunder fans feel this way, is that there's so many guys that would fit. Like, almost all of these guys would fit, but do they do the things that Thunder want a player to do? Like, obviously, like Grady Dick would fit with the Thunder. Yes, he would. Taylor Hendricks would fit with the Thunder. I think Cam Whitmore, as just like a pure play finisher, could fit with the I would, Thunder. I would love that. Yeah. But I don't think they're taking those guys. <laughs> like, I just, just based on their history, I don't think – that they're taking those guys. Um, mm-hmm. What about staying at 12? Who do you like that's going to go in like the 10 to like 20 range? I think you almost have to like widen the gap that much because the Thunder are not going to care yeah. about consensus. That range picks. seems, that range also just like seems particularly wide. Yeah. Um, in terms of, um, I see people like yelling about it in the chat. So I'll talk about Bilal. Um, <laughs> talk about Bilal. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. I mean, Bilal's probably, again, like probably someone who's like consensus outside of that range even a little bit. But, yeah. you know, so we're Jang and then J-Dub. And so, but like Bilal, I think, could be particularly thundery as like a very young athlete with real tools, feel, and ball skills. He, to me, is one of the more impressive, like, real creator bets when I think outside of, like, the top top guys, like, the men, Scoot, whatever, um, you're kind of losing on on-ball bets, guys who can really create and stuff. And there's more off-ball scores, like Keontae, like, um, Nick Smith, Kobe Wufkin, Jordan Hawkins, all those guys. Mm-hmm. So I think Bilal, as someone who dominated in, like, the U21 French league as an on-ball creator and then was really effective as a totally like off-ball complimentary player playing in the like the main league the main team with Wemby has shown the ability to adapt and adjust to multiple different roles in a lot of different types of you know actions and traits on the basketball court defensively I think you know is is, is first and foremost where he's a really great off-ball defensive prospect with just stellar playmaking instincts in terms of jumping passing lanes making rotations for blocks um picking up on on drives he like is very locked in on on like the actions around him which can be a rare thing for young players like to not just stare at the ball or stare at their man where where Bilal definitely has these kind of mess ups as a team defender but you know he's probably I think the second or third youngest player in the draft and that's totally expected. And then offensively, um, another guy who's, you know, shot is the main thing that, that you're going to be monitoring, but he is a really great finisher and his burst, his vertical explosion, his handling, he's shown the ability to like be a pick and roll passer as well. 
Um, he does so much good stuff on both ends of the floor. He's so he's so young. He's athletic. He's smart. Um, that just seems like the kind of as we've been talking about the kind of guy who OKC um, really likes. And you know, unlike last year, if if they were to like jump consensus and make that pick, I would be really really in on that. I think that would be a really really good pick. Um, so that is the. And that is the Bilal thing. I would really like them taking Bilal. Um, who else? Who else do I like? Well, what we've been talking about a lot of uh, like wings and forwards, um, but in a lot of mocks, this is kind of the area of the draft where a ton of guards seem yeah. to be going off the board. Whether it's like yeah. Nick Smith, Casey Wallace, Kobe Bufkin, do you have a favorite among you know the kind of guards in this range, or at least a favorite for the Thunder who might fit? Um, I would just say Casey Wallace in general. Um, mostly because I think he's just like an elite, elite defensive guy. Yeah. I think he's one of the, like, he's a guy in this range who could like legitimately return like all defense level upside in, in, you know, a couple, four, three, four years in his prime, which is hard to pass on um, in this range. Just, I think it's interesting because he gets the Drew Holiday comp a lot. Yeah. Where I think like defending quicker guards and his like on ball technique is like the biggest weakness he has on defense and off the ball in terms of you know being a guard with I think he's like six I think he measured like six three in socks with like a six nine wingspan on the combine. Although again, very thundery. Someone who can really add value as a rim protector from the guard spot, which is something the Thunder totally don't have. Um and would be really, really useful. Just a very sturdy off ball defender and you know blowing up actions all over the floor. He's so good at the little things, getting around screens, digging at the nail, all these things that would be so helpful for, you know, the Thunder and any team as well. And then offensively um, is someone who I think in a more off-ball role could really thrive. Um, talked about the Kentucky, mentioned some Kentucky guards earlier, and, you know, Kentucky guards just always seem to outperform their, their draft slot to the point where it's becoming, like, a definite thing. Like you, you, you're going to be hard pressed to find a Kentucky guard that doesn't end up being pretty good. Yeah, and I think Kaysen, while he has real problems in terms of his handle, mainly I would say, um, being pretty weak, and he's not the quickest or most explosive guy at all. But Kaysen had like an extremely difficult job at Kentucky. He was like their main on-ball creator. They don't really have great shooters or passers or big men on on that Kentucky team. So he was he was tasked with doing a lot. And he was like an amazing, like his finishing is amazing with his balance and like body control and ability to contort and make t- make shots tough angles. He's really good in the mid range as as a scorer. And I think that you know mid range aptitude and the fact that he's a good catch and shoot shooter as well, like nothing special from three. But I think with how good of a mid range scorer he could be, that could be an area for him to develop as a shooter. I think Kaysen would just be the best player available for me at twelve if he fell. And I think it makes a lot of sense as just stacking more defenders in that guard room. You're getting another high field player with incredible length um, and physical tools as well in terms of his verticality and his balance. Not like the most like bursty, explosive guy offensively, but especially for defense, his, his athleticism is, is awesome. Um, and someone who wouldn't need the ball or wouldn't be forced to, you know, struggle to, to create advantages all the time when you have Jay and Giddy and J-Dub and all these guys who can do that at a high level. So that would be a really, really great pick, um, I think, at that point. Just- you mentioned the thing about the Kentucky guards. That's why I thought it was so funny today that Gavoni had him going at 17. It was like, yeah. oh, my gosh, it's happening again. Like It's going to happen again. Like it- <laughs> Kentucky guard is falling. It's, 
I, I don't know. Like it's like it's like the one when, when will we learn at, at this point? Like quickly, Hero, Maxi, Booker, all, all of them. They're all good. Like yeah. I don't I, I generally like would like to stay away from heuristics like, oh, like draft Kentucky guards because they're all good, but they kind of are. <laughs> <laughs> I, li- I like him too. I think he would fit in OKC really kinda well. Hard to like, deny that at this point. <laughs> yeah, he's. I think he'd be awesome. I think he'd be great. It's just a guy coming off the bench. Like you start with Dort out there, and then you bring him in. It's like, oh boy. Like you, right, exactly. Whoever's can, on ball is going to be exhausted. You can have someone to exert that same kind of pressure, like just like which really is key in that in their schemes. Yeah, I do think they and a lot of people think like oh thunder set at guard i think they could use a guard off the bench like that and i really like him and i like kobe buffkin as guys that could both come in and play guard off the bench for them and if they get good enough they could be in closing lineups if not you know they could just be like a sixth man type of guy but i I like both those guys fit and when you're like when you're drafting at 12 especially for a team that has like their high-end talent pretty locked in like it's it's i think it's very okay to go for someone who like you project to play as like a pretty complimentary role um and just like have a have like a a place in the team and you know if they don't end up being like a star or like a regular like playoff starter then that's fine even though i think Kaysen could like totally end up being one of those guys yeah yeah, I agree. So when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. When it's time for me to find a job, I went right to LinkedIn Jobs. They helped me find the right employer, and it was, man, very, very easy process. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com dunk. That's linkedin.com slash dunk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, I want to ask, start asking some questions from some of our listeners. So at Austin Woolish, I think that's how I say it. Yeah, uh, sure. Which wings in this class should be going higher than they are projected right now? And I'm going to answer the question for him because I'm looking at your big board. Yeah, it's no and, fun when you have all my answers. <laughs> well, I really want to know your opinion on this guy because this was from May 16th. So this is only two weeks ago. And as your 11th ranked player, you had Derek Whitehead. Um, who is someone I got to see in person at the Nike Hoop Summit. And I was like super in on the idea of him just because it was like, oh, size and shooting on the wing makes sense for the Thunder. What, you know, a lot of people have been freaked out about not just how he played during his year at Duke, but also the fact that he had to have another surgery. Um, why do you remain so high on Whitehead? Yeah, I think it's just everything but the medicals, basically. Yeah. Um, where like... At least, like, the way that I think about, like, my, it's, like, I'm not a doctor. Like, I don't know. I don't have any, like, insider info on Dariq's medicals. Um, so if, like, an NBA team takes him high and trusts that, you know, they can really work on that, then I am going to be okay with that. Like, I don't have any kind of, no like, real knowledge to, like, knock him because of the medicals. Like, I don't know enough. And in the case where I where, where he is healthy, and I think even towards the end of the season at Duke, when he still, I think, clearly didn't look like himself. He was really improving and making a big impact on both ends of the floor. Um, and he was a former top five level recruit for a reason. Yeah. As a really, you know, once athletic 6'6 wing, really strong ball skills, dribble, pass, shoot, defend. Um, the things we did see at Duke, all was the shot was, was excellent. As that was that's been a thing the last couple of years for Dariq. He was like an on-ball primary creator, heavy pull-up jumpers, and that translated immediately to the college level, being a really effective shooter off of multiple kinds of actions, like just so efficient, high-volume jumpers um, at that size. Also, can really dribble and attack a closeout and run some pick and rolls. He was a good pick and roll passer in high school as well, and we saw some of that passing, especially towards the end of the season. Flash where he can use, he can get downhill and he can hold defenders and really does a good job like reading secondary rotations and help to make laydowns and kickouts, which is an impressive trait for someone again who is one of the youngest players in the draft. Um, I like I like young players a lot. I think age matters, um, especially when you're catching stars is as important and like the checks that box. And he was also really good on defense to me, especially as the season went on and he kind of got his footing in that Duke system as well. And, you know, with lively improving too, helped him a lot. So where he can be really like, he's, he's really quick laterally for a guy of his like strength and stature can flip his hips, um, can be disruptive off the ball and is not, you know, totally lost off the ball either. I think just if, if OKC can, like is a team that like believes or any team like believes that they can get him healthy. I think like it's going to be an incredible steal if, if that's the case, just because of that level of talent. Um, the main things with the athletic tools will just be how that 
impacts his on-ball stuff, his creation at Duke, you could see that he just wasn't himself, especially at the rim, where the finishing numbers, I don't have them in front of me, but I know they were bad. And it was pretty obvious that he was not confident leaping or getting off the floor, um, or really making those explosive movements where he was so good at those in AAU and in high school. So mm. I just think there's so much talent there. Um, there's so much feel there. Such a such a good basketball player with you know, upside to be like a pass, dribble, shoot, defense, 6-6 wing, which those guys often end up being stars or close to star-level players. So that's like the reason that I have him so high. Again, if he's if he's just beyond medically red flagged for some teams, then that's really sad and it is what it is. But Yeah. Yeah, it almost sounds like the MPJ story back in the day where it, it sounds like there were teams that red flagged him. Look what happened to MPJ. We you know, he hasn't it's been a while since he's had a major injury and he's improved a lot on on both ends and he's like the third best player on a title team, maybe. Like Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he has a Q in his name, which is cool. Um, his name is cool. He does a cool name. Yeah. Uh, you've been a big NBL guy, and there is a guard coming from the New Zealand Breakers, Rayon Rupert. Um, thoughts on this New Zealand Breaker, who also happens to be French, who also went to the same high school as Usman Jang, who uh, is friends with Usman Jang. I did not know that. That's yeah, kind of cool. That, that is kind of cool. I'm not. I'm not huge on Rupert, at least as like a a lottery level pick. Okay. I like him as like a, you know, late first, you know, mid twenties kind of defensive um, get. Cause his defense is really the thing that stands out with, with repair. Mm-hmm. Um, so long, really fluid and mobile. Um, someone who has shown the ability to guard multiple positions um, and be, have like that fluidity um, on the ball, off the ball, playmaking instinct, uh, I think he's like comparing him to like someone like Bilal. I think there are a lot of similarities, at least defensively. Like he's more like chaos oriented, like for better or worse, it seems. Like he 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 gambles a lot and makes a lot of big plays and also gets beat a lot, which is again a common thing for for young players that can be coached out, but sometimes it's also not coached out and it's just part of like the instincts for for how they defend. But I think defensively he has the potential to be like a really high level defender and an impact player there. Um, but offense is where my main concerns would lie. Um, as someone who isn't a great shooter, isn't a fantastic passer, really struggles to create advantages by himself on the ball. The like the main things for him, I think, again, are the play finishing, where like his really great like length and he flashed some touch in the mid range, um, and he can get up a little to to finish at the rim. But again, there are so many better play finishers. Um, if you're going for a play finisher, like just go for like, I mean, not in this range, like Cam Whitmore or like Keontae George or Kobe Wethkin or something like that. If you're going for like a play finisher type, I just think he's too limited offensively to really consider at this point as a lottery pick. His defense is really impressive. And, you know, if he shoots, he could be a solid offensive player. But even then, I just don't think he has enough at this point. He hasn't demonstrated enough real skill and as a ball handler or a passer or you know aptitude as a shooter um to be considered as like anything other than like a real offensive project where at that point i think is a little rich for me uh, at this point so i wanted to ask a question from jgg512 i love how you uh, read the names it's very 
<laughs> Very nice. Uh, yeah, no, no one has an easy name so far. Uh, what did Ben undervalue or overlook in his assessment of J-Dub last year, and who is the player this year that he could potentially see himself misevaluating or underrating? He says, no knock on Ben, to be clear, just trying to understand evolving mindset. <gasps> yeah, no, no knock taken um, at all. Yeah, Which I, mean, I, I don't remember. Like, were you actually lower on J Dub, or you just didn't like his fit with OKC? I, it was the latter. Okay. I, I, I was pretty. I think I was pretty spot on with J Dub in terms of like where consensus had him. I was pretty like on on with consensus. Like, I think they had him like you know anywhere from like that eighteen to thirty range, and I don't remember exactly where I had him. I can find right now. Um, where I where I actually ended up with him, uh, yeah, I ended up with him at twenty two. So like that kind of range where I thought that the main issues that he proved wrong very quickly were his ability to create his own offense with the ball. Um, mm-hmm. That I wasn't confident in the handle or like the burst or the strength of like translating immediately to the league in the way it did at Santa Clara, which it obviously did, um, and and translated beautifully. And also just the fact that he was such an effective off ball player as well. Um, I don't think I have any like sweeping takeaways like, like other than like I mentioned before, like I think Presti and, 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 and co is worth the benefit of the doubt, but like, you know, it's still only a year into his career. So much good and bad can still happen with his development as all rookies. You know, we, we don't know what the rest of his career is going to look like. So there's no like real sweeping takeaways for me, um, in terms of like draft prospects or philosophy, um, I mean, again, just like guys who are big and can dribble and pass and shoot a little bit and play defense tend to be pretty good, um, even if it isn't in a way that you might anticipate. Um, that's kind of what I was talking about with with Dariq and with Bilal um, as you know, guys who can theoretically be like dribble, pass, shoot, defense, or um, a good amount of those guys. And he said, who do I think I'm going to like miss? Like, who am I worried about like misevaluating? Um in, in this way there's there's two there's two um big ones that i'm like afraid that i really struggle with um the first one who probably isn't very i don't know if it's very thundery probably not is is bryce sensabaugh um mm-hmm. i would not imagine is is someone the thunder are really going to be looking at because he yeah. doesn't defend and he's and he's low feel and he's and he's has short arms but um like just someone who i mean he's not like Jada at all um, but you know, <laughs> yeah. he's like about as far as you can get from someone like that archetype. So, I mean, this isn't an answer from like a philosophy perspective, but yeah. with his like shot making and like on ball, like tough shot making creation stuff, like maybe he just ends up being so good at it that none of the other stuff matters. Mm-hmm. Um, because the defense is really problematic. Um, the passing is really problematic. He doesn't get, like he struggles to generate easy shots despite being like a generationally great freshman, tough shot maker. Um, and then the other one that I struggle with who is a lot more thundery is, is Leonard Miller who mm. I know has been um, like linked to OKC mm-hmm. um, who I am like tentatively lower on at this point, but is also one of the prospects who I find myself, like I mentioned, struggling with my evaluation and, pretty unsure of like what i think about him um just a really weird kind of player and profile going from a really flawed like creator at lower levels to basically a small center at at ignite or i think having someone with his like 
movement skills and, and physicality um, is a really impressive like combination of traits. Um, and then someone who's flashed this kind of like ball handling and and touch in the past, you know, that didn't really pop it um, at ignite in in any kind of way, but. It's something that was was there at lower levels, even if it wasn't really super functional or effective. It was something that he was able to flash. It's like I have leaned lower on Leonard just because I like don't really see the high end upside. I think the lack of like verticality and defensive instincts, like I don't think he's really a center on defense. Um, the physicality and the rebounding are the the main benefits there for him, but I think some of the vertical struggles and the lack of high end defensive instincts and some of the on-ball technique stuff and lack of like movement around screens. I think it could be a little like pigeonholed there and it's like a tweener four or five defensive role, but he could also, you know, ex exceed those because guys with really great movement skills and fluidity and coordination tend to have, you know, breakouts and, and, and develop in, in weird ways. Um, but I think my, my concerns are more offensive with him where again, I don't really think he's a center, um, just because like the verticality and, and like the finishing tools aren't incredible aside from his touch. He's a little stiff to me in his upper body and like working around defenders. He's not really a dribbler. The shot is, is a big question at this point, but I think there are like weird skills and traits where I could totally see him like going to someone like, like OKC and developing into a good player in some way that I did not even consider. Um, so I think, like he's not a shooter, like dribble, maybe, maybe dribble, maybe pass, like with, with the size and the defense. And again, like theoretically fits a lot of what the Thunder like. So he's one that, like I mentioned at the top, I have, I certainly like think of lower than consensus probably at this point, but that's less of having such strong conviction and more being kind of unsure about my, my eval. Um, and I would be very curious if the Thunder draft, I like my main issue with, with OKC taking him would probably just be, I think they'd be passing on prospects I consider to be a good bit better, mm -hmm. but that, that, that always happens. And I think with their history of, you know, how they draft and develop, I could imagine that being good, like a good thing in, at some point. Yeah. There's a lot of combo guards in like this, like mid first round. So I want you to rank these combo guards, Kobe Bufkin, Hood Scafino, Nick Smith, Keontae George. Um, you said Buffkin, Hood Scafino. Okay, so Nick and Nick is my favorite for sure. Okay, um, I think Nick is definitely the best one of these guys. Um, I think he's you know been underrated kind of all year, and I think I go Nick, Keontae, Buffkin, Hood Scafino. I definitely think Hood Scafino is, is is my least favorite of of, of yeah. the group. Yeah, I'm pretty low on him in general in terms of consensus. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm pretty low on Buffkin too. I don't feel like oh, I dislike Buffkin. On, I just man. kind of, I'm just kind of not super into the like lottery idea, which I, which I, which I, which I, which I gather that you might, you might like. <laughs> what makes um, you think that? No, I, I, yeah, no, I'm I just have a suspicion, you know, I, it, <laughs> oh, I'm a Buffkin boy it's through the and through. Thing. No, yeah. I, I don't know. Just, yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I like him a lot. I just think he doesn't have a lot of holes to his game. Whereas. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, a lot of these other guys in this group. You're gonna to have to talk me into Nick Smith. Maybe it's like high school stuff, but like the stuff at Arkansas was just concerning. And then Keontae is like just like your classic gunner that I just don't know if they're gonna take a guy like that. Yeah, I um, I could definitely say. That. I think Hutchifino is the only one who I would be like absolutely not. Like yeah, Buff I agree. like Buffkin. I yeah. would 
definitely like have some qualms about as I like I have him in a similar range like that, like late first, mid first to, to, to Leonard. But again, he does have a lot of really interesting. I think like if they want to play finisher, like Buffkin is the guy to go get. Yeah, um, I think the like he's kind of a generalist and I worry about like the shot being good enough for for his, you know, good driving his good handle, good burst, not elite, like good athleticism, not elite. I, th- I think the defense is like improving and the playmaking instincts are good, but like the, the high end, like feel and fit and the height and like strength are kind of lacking. So I think he's like, as like a play finisher generalist, it could be what OKC wants. Um, but probably not where I would go. Yeah. Um, Hutchfino, I just like don't like a lot. And I think, especially as someone who like really needs the ball um, to maximize his skills, like not going to be someone who. Is, is really additive for OKC. Um, yeah, Nick, I just think is pretty, like, he's another, like, injury guy. Um, like, another one of these, like, injury high school guys who I tend to like, um, where there's just, like, a lot of uncertainty, but I yeah. believe in the talent. I think, you know, as with Grady, he's a brilliant off-ball scorer, um, which, again, is another thing that OKC and most teams in the league could, could use. So good spacing and cutting and relocating. Um, and I think for him, more than maybe any player in the draft, like added strength is going to be so huge for him on both ends. Um, like such a huge swing skill in like determining his viability almost in like in a different way. Like I think of like another Arkansas guy, like Isaiah Joe, who yeah. like had so many of these, like was a totally different player, but like had so many of these like critically valuable skills that needed the strength to unlock them and as, as as we've seen him add strength we've seen him become a really valuable nba player in his role where i think nick both offensively and def- and defensively like offensively um i like his handle it's not incredible or anything but he he uses it well to get into his jumpers and to into his drives like i think he's pretty quick like he was always a really fast guy in high school but at the college level he just constantly got bumped off of his spot didn't seem to trust his ability to get all the way to the rim kind of like like Jarris in a similar way very mm-hmm. differently but you know even in, in moments when he would beat a guy off the dribble like he totally flip a defender around with his his speed he just would stop take a floater get bumped off the spot just because he didn't have the core strength or the lower body strength to get in there and finish um as well and then like i, I really like his passing as well like especially off the ball. He was really great, like finding cutters and kicking out to shooters and like simple stuff like that. And of course, you know, in high school, we flash more on ball passing. Um, and I really like his defense as well. Another thing where like, he's going to need to add strength because he is rail thin and is going to struggle to handle NBA level size and athleticism from day one. That's just going to happen, um, especially at the guard spot. But his motor is so high. He tries really, really hard. He's so quick laterally, really great getting around screens on and off ball, which is a skill I value a ton, you know, in an NBA that is like run by on and off ball screens at this point. Um, and I think could be a valuable defensive addition to to a guard to like where like you have guys like Giddy and, and, and Dort who, you know, or, I mean, Giddy just struggled and Dort's so good um, work, working in like, you know, the like as a pressure ball stopper, but can struggle in like tighter change of direction kind of spaces where Nick, I think could really excel. But again, I think that's contingent. A lot of that contingent on developing strength. Mm-hmm. I think with Nick, like the fact that there are so many, like so much good that can be unlocked from this physical development. And again, something that is 
like kind of out of my spectrum of knowledge. Like I don't know how the Thunder like or a team would go about developing his strength and adding that and mixing that into the rest of his game. But I think if that happens, there's like a really useful like two way secondary like off ball guard that you know I don't know if he'd be my favorite Thunder fit. Um, cause I think like the play finishing and stuff is definitely important, but um, high, just like someone who I consider high feel impressive shot creating and shot making. And I think obviously I, I, I didn't mention this, but like incredible touch, like just like a w- wizard touch score in the vein of, you know, Trey maxi hero and, and those kind of touch that kind of touch God um, era. So someone with like really defined weaknesses, but, a really enticing ceiling, which is kind of like my draft philosophy, um, at least in this range, where those are the kind of guys who I'm interested in really betting on yeah. in general. Obviously, when you consider teams and, and structures, that changes a lot. And when it comes to like a big board, you know, you're not really considering those things. But that's my thought on Nick and partly a part of why I'm very in on him. So the Thunder also have another pick, pick 37. And I wanted to ask you about a guy who I think you should know a lot about because you uh, went to Mizzou. (laughs) And I've seen people getting excited about this guy. And I kind of understand it. It's Kobe Brown. He's 23 years old, but he does kind of fit the profile of the type of players they've been taking in the second round, like JRE and Jay Will. Um, What do you think about him? Because you had him on your big board, I think, around 60. So clearly not like super high on him. But he's been starting to get some buzz. You probably watched him because you went to Mizzou. (laughs) What do you think about Kobe Brown? Yeah, I could totally imagine him being thundery. I mean, like, I have him outside of my top 60. That doesn't mean I don't think he could be worth a draft pick. Like, I think the distance between those, like, 40 to 70, 60 guys is so, like, limited where it's just Mm -hmm. kind of, like, pick your preference. Um where I just worry about Kobe being able to work athletically at, at the NBA level, um, as even though he has made like significant improvements athletically and physically since he was a freshman, there's still just general struggles in terms of, especially defensively, um, like like sticking with men both on and off the ball and being an impactful like backline defender. He's always had great instincts, good length, um, like good playmaking instincts, and I think it's impressive the extent to which he went from like a pure like off ball low usage connector as like a younger player to like a full-time mid post pull-up score yeah um it's impressive development obviously you wouldn't be asked to do that at the nba level Mm -hmm. Um, like so scaled back maybe he could be like a another one of these like funky like dribble pass shoot types so i mean obviously because of my biases i would not be mad if you know he got taken pretty high i i would certainly enjoy that um do you buy the shot? Because he's someone who shot, I think, in like the 20% range for his first couple of years. And then this past year, he shot over 40% from three. Not particularly. Um, I, I think my main concerns are in terms of threes, he's just pretty limited in terms of just catching shoots or like late clock pull-ups was kind of what, what he does. Um, I think the, like the small sample three-point percentage doesn't really move me. Mm-hmm. Um, to where, like, I think he could be a solid catch and shoot guy, um, like someone who is threatening the defense. But again, like, without the handle or the burst, like, how much can he really capitalize on that? Um, so I, I think it could be an okay shooter. Like, again, just not sure if he has any like real like bankable NBA skills aside from like the handle, the size being pretty solid, and the feel being pretty good. Um, and again, like, it goes without saying, like, I. I hope I'm wrong and he's like the best player ever because I love Kobe Brown. But um. 
what are your thoughts on Sidney Sissoko? I, I feel like he's somebody that I've heard. I've had some people that are like Thunder fans are like, oh my gosh, they should take him at 12. And then you see him in the second round of like some mocks. I, I don't have a a great feel for where he's going to go or what would be like required of the Thunder to get him if they did want him. But what are your thoughts on his game and how it would translate to the NBA? Yeah, I am definitely not a CD guy. I would definitely not. You know, I think even like considering Presti's re- record, if they took him at 12, I would not co-sign that at all. Yeah. Um. I mean, second round, I think, like it, it seems like he's going to go in the first round, like for sure at this point, at least like based on the mocks that I've seen. Um, but if they were to get him in the second round, I think as like a playmaking, you know, upside defense wing kind kind of type, um, I would like him. My main concerns with CD, um, firstly, just the scoring is quite problematic to me. Um, not just the shot, which I don't like. Um, yeah. You know, the fact that he's limited to just like catch and shoot jumpers, basically. Um, like the volume is low. He doesn't take different kinds of shots in or outside the arc. Um, just doesn't really have any of the traits that developing shooters tend to have and then it's just very timid as a scorer where the passing is, is quite good like mm-hmm. his ability to make like live dribble reads off of his drive is probably his most impressive trait i think his passing is a little overrated to me maybe somewhat because he's like a he's a flashy passer and a lot of his passes like look cooler than they're actually functional um but he is a very good passer but like you'll see him use his like size and like strength to, like be a smaller player or get to the rim and he'll just not even look at the rim like he'll try to throw it out to someone or make a flashy pass um and that like process and mentality scares me a little bit yeah um it's just really hard to be a role player in the nba who like was that low use and timid in college like i say this all the time like pj tucker tory craig dorian finney smith robert covington were all like high usage scores um mm-hmm. before they got to the nba it's it's difficult for low-level role players to become high-level role players and maybe like cd is an exception especially because with ignite they are like you know more directly preparing them for the nba than they would be in college so maybe it's just like more of a slotting into the role that you're going to play at the nba level and then just defensively i i have a lot of concerns with with sissoko as the tools are impressive and there are flashes of you know playmaking instincts for sure but like the play to play defense and feel are really problematic to me more so than like your average like freshman aged player obviously he's playing tough competition he's playing a more difficult scheme so there's some of that to be remedied but i like i think the awareness and the feel is pretty behind and the athletic tools to, like compensate are good like he he's he's long he's pretty fast he can jump a little bit but they're not like elite or anything to me so just I have a lot of concerns about the flaws and then like what actual upside he brings to combat those flaws. Cause I don't think even if he works out, like the ceiling is so high for, for CD um, because of those scoring limitations, because of like the high end defensive limitations. Um, the passing could be useful for sure for a team as like a big playmaker. There is a lot of, a lot of utility there, no doubt, especially for a, a team that could use him more creatively than Ignite did where, you know, it's kind of just like a shit show at times where they just like throw guys out there and it's like, do your thing. And it can be a big struggle for prospects at Ignite. So there absolutely is are ways that I think CD could exceed my expectations and become a useful rotation player. 
Um, but again, that's not something I'm really targeting in like the lottery level. And I just don't have much confidence in in him becoming that, which is one of my like biggest differences from, I think like at least like draft Twitter consensus. I know like mm. a lot of people really high on him. Um, but like, you know, if, if there was a world where he fell to the second round, like I think like at that point, it's like, yeah, absolutely swing on a, you know, wing with high feel for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just looked it up. Gavoni had him going 40. Uh, in his mock draft, which yeah. is kind of surprising. That yeah, like at at that point, I think absolutely go get him. Like I think that's around the range that I would have him in, um, where it's like get take these swings on these flawed wings who could add value on a rookie contract or something like that. Yeah. So maybe the sense. last question, flip side of that, you mentioned you know you're a little bit lower on Sissoko. Is there someone, and we already talked about Derek Whitehead, but is there someone else who you feel like you're higher on than consensus, who maybe has been mocked at the end of the first round or even into the second round, that that could be an option for the Thunder or just in general that you really? I like? feel like I have to like wrap this up by talking about Brandon Pachemski. Yeah, um, I was going to ask. Yeah, you you, about you him. were yeah. you were pretty high on him like even before. The 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 blow up that he had at the combine. Got, I was. You got, I've been, you got his dad in your DMs. <laughs> Do you? Shout out to, to to his dad. Good guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I was just it, making sure. All right. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pachemski is awesome. I mean, again, like, not, I mean, certainly, I'm not going to doubt a Santa Clara guard two years in a row. Yeah. That's no right. way. Um, <laughs> I, I think. Pachemski excels in a lot of the ways that J-Dub did. I mean, they're different players for sure. J-Dub was longer, you know, more athletic, probably better defensively. Pachemski is like a better shooter, a better passer, stuff like that, even though J-Dub was a great passer in college as well. But Pachemski is like a real, like, pass, dribble, shoot, defense guard type with real, he's he's 6'5", and he's shown his ability to use that strength. I mean, the main questions for Pachemski, as with our many, like, mid-major type creators is how much of that really translates how much is he going to be able to succeed without being adept at getting easy shots like his burst is probably one of the biggest athletic concerns in terms of getting separation from defenders but he is such a good like crafty scorer that even when he doesn't he's able to use decelerations and euro steps and chains of direction with his awesome handle and when you know you give him a screen he's really lethal not only as a scorer and like a pull-up and a pick-and-roll shooter, but also as a passer and um, finding defenders in really tight windows with manipulation and finding defenders um, you know, on the roll, kickouts to skips. He's an amazing transition passer. Um, and then just a really, really incredible shooter too. Um, really deep range. Um, shoots off movement, shoots tough pull-ups, can just do so many things on offense. And defensively, he's really smart. The, the athletic tools could be limiting again, but he's so smart with his hands and with his general like feel and positioning. His feet are pretty good, and he's pretty strong as well for a guy that size. I mean, I'm never going to, especially in the second round, will never fault the Thunder or anyone for taking a guard like that, someone with that kind of you know, creation and, and defensive and just feel. I think he's one of, if not like the few highest feel guys in this draft, which is yeah. valuable in a draft that's lacking a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, these Santa Clara guards who are crazy at the combine. And I think like the combine scrimmages like matter. I think they're pretty useful evaluation tools. Like, you know, it's, it's a two game sample size, but as two game sample sizes go, I think it matters um, for sure. Showing that you can 
like excel without the the backing of a scheme or coaching or a system and in that like free flow kind of scenario you can play really well which obviously Pachemski was like super dominant at the combine and just looked like better than everyone else yeah um in in basically every way so yeah I, I love him I I think of him as like a potential guy who could go in the or who could be worth a pick in the late teens early 20s um but he doesn't seem like that's gonna happen so he's probably my favorite guy who could fall into the second that i think would be just incredible for anyone to get yeah go follow ben on twitter at bjpf underscore we really appreciate your time and all your draft knowledge and just just go ahead and book it anybody we've talked about on this show will be on the thunder (laughs) Very shortly. So look, I mean, it's happened two years in a row. Hey. Whether or not it was good or bad, I, I mean, I, I feel like I talk pretty favorably about most prospects, even the ones who I don't really like. Yeah. Which obviously that nuance, you know, you often can't convey in the space of a tweet. But right. Yeah. No, we appreciate it, man. And uh, go go follow Ben. He's a great follow and just a fun person. Ben, thanks so much, man. <laughs> of course. Thank you all for having me. I, I always enjoy being here. Thanks, Ben. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.